What's up? Welcome back to another whimsical episode of Textual Healing. This is Mallory Smart, and today I'll be interviewing Matthew Binder, author of Pure Cosmos Club. I insist that he should make being a cult leader his day job, but before we get into all that weirdness, I'd like to back up and tell you a little bit about Textual Healing. It's a weekly podcast that interviews writers about music, books, genres that drive them, and other fun facts. If you want to support the show, follow us on Twitter at PodHealing, rate us on Apple Podcasts, or subscribe on Spotify. All help matters when it comes to a show like this, where we give writers a platform to speak about who they really are and what influences their writing, like Matthew Binder. Matt is on the show today to discuss his new book, Pure Cosmos Club, a novel about an eccentric artist named Paul and his companion dog named Blanche, who navigate their way through the art world and wind up getting involved in a secretive cult called Pure Cosmos Club, led by a new age guru named James. Obviously, in this episode, we discuss cults in the art world, but we also get into other fun topics like Matt's recording project, Bang Bang Jetaway, Tom Cruise, book launch parties, and so much more. So, without giving anything else away, here's Matthew. So, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Um, Yeah, I was watching The Mummy, I'm not going to lie, and I was like, I have better things I could do right now. So, I messaged you, and I was like, we could do this early. The mummy is that the uh, the uh, Brendan Fraser thing? Yeah, believe me, I would yeah. not touch the Tom Cruise one. Tom Cruise made a mummy too. Yeah, I know that guy just can't stop. I don't know. Everyone's in a huge Tom Cruise renaissance currently, but you know because of that one Top Gun movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually really sad where I have to be like, you know, that one where he flies planes. I think I haven't seen it. The movie just literally just printed money, though. That's why, I mean, he's like the only movie star that can still print money. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think his movie, other than Marvel movies, it's like the only movie that, like, makes money now. Like, and and people aren't going to see, like, a character, or, or like, an actor when they see a Marvel movie. They don't care who's in it, right? They just, they're, they're just there for the Marvel universe. But Tom Cruise is, like, the one actor who can still, like, just put... Like seats and butts, butts and seats, butts and seats, <laughs> seats and butts, seats <laughs> butts and, and seats, butts. seats and butts. Yeah, we don't need to put any of this in the podcast. <laughs> off the record, off the record. Exactly. That's you actually know. what off the record uh, originally was. <laughs> Just uh, outtakes of things people <laughs> people didn't want said. Uh, yeah. yeah, like where they're like, "This has nothing to do with the podcast," and later mm. they'd be like, "You know what? You could put it in, though." Yeah. Yeah, just my 10-minute defense of Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> I have one where um, it's like the first off-the-record episode I have where my now co-host from that, that horror cast just went on a rant of how horrible the 80s were. Yeah, <laughs> just the, the decade in general? Yeah, just that decade in general, because okay, I had the nerve yeah. to ask about, you know... I asked a Stranger Things question, mm. and... That, that set him off, and I was like, all right, no more 80s questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's nothing to be celebrated, apparently, from that decade. Um, I don't have too many memories of the uh, 80s, so 
Um, everything that I would have to would be like secondhand. I mean, I lived through the '80s, but mostly. Uh, but I don't know. I was very little, and so. Um, I apparently am in that group that he would define, and I do actually understand. I am the millennial who sees things through the millennial pop culture perspective of the 80s. Uh-huh. I only know the highlights. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always been really bad at pop culture, actually. So even, like, I, I miss most references. Like, I've never seen Stranger Things. I know what Stranger Things is, but I've never seen it. I think it's very funny in that you are not into pop culture because you're now part of it. Mm, well not part of it. I would like to be in, in pop culture, like if my book was like part of popular culture, that'd be nice. I don't I have no uh, delusions of grandeur that it, that it, that it will ever be uh, I mean in pop culture. <laughs> as I read the very first lines of uh, the version I was given of the uh, summary on the back in this biting satire, Matthew Binder, whose work Seth Meyers has uh, compared with Kurt Vonnegut and yeah. Aldous Huxley, that entire sentence just shouts pop culture. Yeah, uh, that that was actually that's on the galley version. It got I, I struck the Seth Meyers reference in the in the in the in the final version. Um, I grew up mm-hmm. with Seth's wife in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, and so uh, when I moved to New Mexico. They took me under their wing a little bit, and uh, yeah, he he blurred my last book, so that was like a reference. Yeah, that's pretty that. cool. Okay, so your book launch, uh, you said that that's going to be thrown by Forever Magazine. Yeah. Why is that? Um, like, are they like kind of partnering with like Stalking Horse? No, or? they're just you know they published. Uh, in the most recent issue, a chapter of the book, uh, and, you know, the Annika and Madeline are just sort of, they, they like the work and, um, they throw really good parties. Uh, their, their parties are not like typical, like book parties. They're like party parties, you know, um, with like hundreds of people there and like a line around the door, you know, line down the street to like get in. Um, so if I, if I had a book party on my own, it would literally be like 10 people you know, that would come. But if, if Forever promotes it, um, there'll be a lot of people there. I mean, none of them will be there specifically because of me or my book, which is whatever. That's fine. Um, but, and uh, it's not like a thing where you have to read or anything. It's kind of like the Sex and the City thing where... Uh... This one, there will be a short reading. I'll read... There's actually... like I'm going to read. Madeline's going to read... Um, Okay. Gideon Jacobs is going to do a, a short reading, and um, and my friend Sam's going to do a short reading also. But we're all like three to five minutes, and then uh, there's like a a DJ who uh, her name's Julia. She's a singer of this band Sunflower Bean that's like real popular in New York. So it's like a party party. Um, so, like, do you guys just, like, start it off as, like, a party, then introduce each other and be, like, we're doing the reading, and then be, like, all right, go off? Yeah, I think that's pretty much how it's going to work. I think the readings start at, like, 9. I think, like, people, doors, we tell people to get there at 8. We're going to do a quick reading at, like, from 9 to whatever, 9.30, 9.40, and then the party. Um, is, yeah, it's just a party after that. Now... As an author, do you think that you're going to, like, be pulled aside a lot to, like, 
explain the book, or do people just leave you alone? I've never been to such a party. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think people just, you know, being read to, uh, sometimes readings are good, but it's better when it's like an intimate affair. I think there's probably going to be, this is a pretty, I think there's probably going to, I don't know, I don't want to jinx it, but probably like 150 people there at least. And, um, that's like not, not so intimate. So I don't know how it'll be received actually. <laughs> I don't know how it'll be, it'll be received at all. Uh, also with that many people, like, especially if they weren't paying attention to the reading because there's a very high chance of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, do you have one of those faces that like looks like your photo or do you think you'll blend? Um, I think so. I don't know. I have like a, I have a face that I think looks like a lot of other faces, I guess. Ooh, so they might not be able to find you. Yeah, I look like, like a I nice... I think it's that guy. I look like a nice Jewish boy, yeah. It's like, got a nice, like, Jewish boy's face, and... Like, oh, that'll com- make you so distinguishable at this party. Yeah, at a New York City literary party. That was, that's really unique, uh-huh. Exactly. Like, I've been invited to a few of these parties, and it's like, oh, one day. But I'm very introverted, and I avoid social gatherings. yeah. One day I'll go, but I do like the fact that, like, it was a publicist who invited me to the one, and it was like, it's going to be the most Jewish event ever. (laughs) Yeah, what's cool about Forever, I think, is just that it's so irreverent, and um, they've kind of made, like, this, like, literary scene in New York around them, this sort of ecosystem that they've made. It kind of feels more like, like a like a like a rock and roll scene back in the day um where it's like like people are there to like like actually like have fun and like be there and like it's not just like perfunctory like like oh we got to go support our friend who wrote this book that none of us are going to read like people I don't know if people are reading all the books that that forever promotes but um people still people definitely like to be in uh that's sort of uh, they've made a fun they've created a fun little scene around They're them there for the event I dig that yeah so I expect pictures I want to see what this event looks like oh, or is be it pictures. that exclusive uh, no it's not a, anyone can come but like yeah there, there'll be there's like a photographer who's been like they, they like part of the deal is it's like promotion for the uh, it's at this place called the Georgia Room which is uh, I don't know. It's like a lounge inside of this hotel, and we got it. Like they're like, all right, you guys can have the space, but we need to have like to promote it. So we need like good photos. So there's like a party photographer coming. Like a uh, his name is Matt. Um, I forget his last name, but he worked for Paper Magazine. He, he's, he's like a big party ph- photographer in New York. So, so many mats involved. So yes. many, and I think he's a nice Jewish boy that looks like me as well, actually. Yeah. Oh, God. People are going to see two nice dressed guys at this party. He'll have a like, camera, though. Is you, are you Matthew? I go by Matt in my regular life, but there's like a already famous, much more famous than I'll ever be, uh, like sort of uh, anarchist political pundit. Like guy who's like big on Twitter with like a couple hundred thousand Twitter followers, and his name's Matt Binder. So I had to go by Matthew with for my writerly name. 
I like that, writerly. Yeah. I'm happy that you specified Matt, just because I do prefer calling people Matt. Yeah. And I, no, I did look up very pretentious, yeah. your name, and I was just like, it's not this guy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the crazy mm. Yeah, the, like the, the hardcore, like, like, uh, like anarchist uh, media guy. Yeah, I'm not I mean, him. He looked intriguing, but I was like, not him. The, I've had other people on here like i don't know if you know bobby miller but he's like i'm not the baseball player i'm the writer it's like thank you for clarifying yeah (laughs) i I didn't know there was a bobby miller baseball player i know i know baseball pretty well but i didn't know there was bobby miller baseball player see i don't know baseball even though i lived in wrigleyville for a while i just i watch it occasionally my uh, my best friend from growing up, he's he's from a baseball family. He played minor league baseball. His grand his father played major league baseball, and his grandfather was like an all star. And he was ended up being the after he retired, he became the infield coach for the Cubs. And then when he died, they spread his ashes. His wife did and secretly on the infield at, at Wrigley. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so you are definitely familiar. I know with... baseball. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little Bobby <laughs> Adams no baseball trivia for you. Yeah. yeah, I dig that. You can you can you can spread that around uh, Chicago. People will be impressed. Now that we know who the other Matt Binder is, let's figure out who you are. Are you an anarchist? Okay. Too? Should we should we talk about books? Yeah, let's talk about books. I mean, baseball's fun too. Or a book? Yeah. Well, uh, my name is Matthew Binder. I uh, I don't know. I uh, I'm in my apartment in in Brooklyn right now. I'm from New Mexico. Uh, written a couple books, uh, have a little recording project called Bang Bang Jetaway that I do with a friend. Um, yeah, what else do you want to know? Well, I think you basically have it covered as to who you are. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I, I do like how you're stumped by that question just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm of a divided mind about it. Like, who am I? Yeah, I mean, it's very existential, just like your book. Okay, so one, I really appreciate the fact that your email address is the book title. I haven't actually seen someone do that yet. Uh huh. Yeah. I well, I my regular email is such a disaster that I feel like I would miss anything important that came in. So I started a new email account that's just like my book stuff, uh, so I don't miss anything. I really dig that. No, I I also just really like the title of the book, too. So I think you could just keep that as your email address. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, Pure Cosmos Club. Why did you call it that? um, I have no idea. where. I don't remember where that came from. Uh, But... Whatever, when I was writing the book, like that day when I sat down to write and I needed a name for the cult, it just became Pure Cosmos Club. And then when I was thinking of the title of the book, because I, I just thought of that afterwards, I, I had a different t- working title when I was writing it. I was like, oh, obviously the name of this book is Pure Cosmos Club. And my friend was like, that's the worst name for, for a book. And I was like, what? And so, yeah, he got in my head about it. And so for a while I was like desperately searching for like a different name. But then I was just like, that's the name of the book. What was the alternate title? Oh, gosh. Did we get to hear that? What was it? I have like a list somewhere. There was a whole bunch, but then there was like a, maybe like the working title was, 
uh, some Picasso reference. Because the book is about an artist. Like some vague, like uh, obscure thing I read in a, in a, his, in Picasso's, like one of his wives, Claire. uh, uh, He was married to this woman who wrote this great uh, memoir uh, about her life with Picasso. And uh, Francois Gillot, I think is her name. And um, it was something I, I took from there. Oh, yeah, creator, creator destroyer. That's what it was. That was like um, that was like one of the titles I was kicking around. I don't think that was the working title, but I, that I wouldn't decided. be so bad. It wouldn't be so bad, but I don't know. Pure Cosmos Club was the obvious choice. I would say that is the obvious choice, but the other one it, it catches the mood. Yeah, a little bit. It, it gets yeah. the vibe. Yeah. Now you said obviously it's about art and everything. Do you want to say instead of me reading the summary, would you like to say what the book is about? Yeah, it's about this uh, painter, like this struggling artist in in New York who is sort of friends with this guy who's like the son of a billionaire hedge fund manager, and he's an artist too, and of course that guy's art career is going great, uh, but the struggling artist is not doing so well, and the struggling artist ends up at a party in the Hamptons and f- meets this new age guru guy and sort of falls under the influence of this guy and, and spirals into the cult, this guy's cult, and um, the cult leader's basically using him to get to his rich friend, uh, and that's, I guess that's the basic premise of the book, although you might say it was something totally different. Oh, that's subjective. We all get to bullshit around as to what we think the book was about. I've had it where people yeah. have come to me with my book and tell me, like, oh, is this what about, and it's like, I'll just nod if it sounds way better. Like, yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally what I was going for. You, yeah, I'm a total yeah. existentialist. I am that smart. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. In my in my last book, there was one review um, that someone wrote that was so smart. Like my last book was sort of a dystopian future book, like a near future, and um, like most dystopian future books are like written from the point of view of like the sort of like hyper oppressed victim overcoming some authority figure and human triumph, moral uplift, whatever. Um, and my book was written from the perspective of a member of the elite who is just trying to keep his head when the when the when the revolution comes. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that when I was writing it. Like a lot of the reviews were people upset about like why would you write a book about this character who is part of the elite in this like very oppressive society (laughs) uh and uh this reviewer was writing about how like unique that was and uh i was i was quite pleased that someone had like synthesized that and 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 written uh a really great essay about it because i never really thought about it like that I think it's interesting. They compare your writing to Kurt Vonnegut, Murakami, and Aldous Huxley. Do you feel like that's too pretentious, especially given the vibe of this book? Um, I mean, if someone wants someone wants to make that comparison, I'll happily take it. But uh, I would not uh, dare make those comparisons uh, myself. I think my I think this book's pretty good, though. I mean, like, 
We're putting it out there. I, ca- I already called you. Like, you're, you're, you're going to be part of pop culture. You're here. Yeah. I, well, thanks for helping me make my way into pop culture with oh, this podcast. You did it yourself. I mean, well, especially with this cover, too. Me on. I mean, who did the art here? Um, a guy named uh, Keith Rendelli. He's friends with my uh, publisher. And uh, uh, the publisher's like, I love my friend Keith's art. Um, why don't you f- like go through some of his images and see if any of them like resonate with you? And so he sent me like ten pieces of art from Keith, and I picked this one. And then I sort of like did an informal survey of my friends, and a lot of people like this one too, except for the same friend who did not like the name Pure Cosmos Club, he's like, that's the worst picture. Like, that's the worst one for this book. And I was like, no, I'm going to go with it. And he's kind of my close, he's like sort of my most trusted reader too. So like, I really trust him uh, when it comes to like story, but uh, maybe not so great at names or uh, uh, like visual aesthetics. I do think he is great at visual aesthetics. I'm not, I, now I can't name him because... This guy is a genius, and I, I trust his sensibilities a lot, about, especially about literature. Um, it's but, good to have that person that'll be brutally honest with you, though. Yeah, no, no. He, uh, he, he, tells, he helps me figure out what works and what doesn't work. He read multiple drafts of Pure Cosmos Club, and he uh, definitely helped me out a lot, for sure. I mean, those are seriously the best people to have in your life. Without him, I don't think I would have uh, my last two books, this book and the one before it, would not be nearly as good if, if, if I didn't have him. Did he like uh, proofread and like line edit, or he 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 did help me with that, but like that, like this book, there was like a subplot, like another like book, uh, another plot running through it where I needed the main character Paul to have like some source of income, um, and originally I had him like have a large gambling debt and to work it off he takes the the book he has like a child like an eight-year-old son who looks like a young ronald reagan who's trying to be an actor and so paul the main character the narrator is taking this kid on auditions and um it was really great i really liked like it could be a great novel in itself but it really was a it didn't serve this book so he was like i you got to cut that that whole thing (laughs) And, um, he was right. He was right. Yeah, you gotta appreciate that. Yeah. What didn't he like about this cover? Can I ask? Because I'm a big fan of. Everyone always says not to. I judge a book by its cover. Yeah. So what? What did he not like about it? And what drew you into it? Um. Because I want to know, like, if you think, I'm, like, does this definitely like? When people see this cover, do you think that they are entering knowing what they're about to read? No. I think... um, I like the colors. I like the colors a lot. Uh, I don't know. It's... I don't know. I think it's a very eye-catching cover. So it's like the image... Like, it wouldn't work if it was just the the, the front cover. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... The person, but my, my publisher was like, "Oh, we can't fit that this whole image on just the front cover. It's not going to fit well." 
And it's like, oh, but we can wrap it around the whole book. Um, and once we decided to do that, then I think this was like the obvious choice. But I don't know that those, those those structures, those buildings, kind of look like like a weird sort of futuristic like cult, like like a some sort of like cult clubhouse ashram something. I don't know. To me, it definitely does give that feeling to me. But it's because I already knew what the book was about. But it, it does look like the kind of place where, like, you'd be in a compound and they'd be telling you, like, all the weird ways to live and everything. And you'd yeah. have, like, five wives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so th- that's what appealed to me. I think he didn't like the colors. I think he thought it should be, like, darker or something. But, um... I mean, given the, be- like, the subject matter, I guess I could kind of understand dark. Now, coming from, like, a marketing level, the yellow is perfect. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to. I know people are, are judging the book by its cover, and uh, so this was the right choice. So, Pure Cosmos Club is a title. This, this, this cover, this artwork for the cover. These are all, these are all the right choices. Yeah, people, people seem to really like the cover. Um, right now, like the pre-orders are just like starting to arrive, so people have been posting it on. Uh, Instagram and whatever, and and then I write to him. Oh, thanks for sharing the book. And I say, hope you like it. I'm like, well, love the cover. Just love the cover. I mean, Great. I will say one person who has the original cover like mine. They're selling it on eBay already. So. Oh really? Okay. That's how much. Uh, I don't know how eBay works really. Do they put a price up or is it like an auction? It yep, looks it's like auction. Uh, it's for twenty bucks. Oh, that sounds like. About right. Yeah, it doesn't look like you could bid, but I haven't used eBay like in forever. I used to try and buy musical instruments on there, but back in the day, but people had like whatever some sort of software that you couldn't beat them in an auction because like like at the very last tenth of a second they could just beat you by a dollar. Like, however, they're they had some software that could do that. So I got frustrated with it and haven't looked at it since. I was almost too poor for eBay, so. Yeah. yeah. And also, it is a generational thing. How old are you? I'm 42. Okay, yeah. You got a decade on me. You definitely probably yeah. had more money to fuck yeah, around with on eBay. Well, I've had a couple of pockets where I had, like, I worked for solar developers. And so basically what I usually do is I work for, like, a couple of years, um, save up money, and then quit and write a take a year off or whatever and write a book. And then when I start running out of money again, I go back to work. Um, this is not the best way to build a career, but at least a career in solar. Maybe it's good for a career in writing. But um, I'll say you live your life pretty similarly to how I do. So Quit your jobs a lot? Yeah. <laughs> I quit my jobs a lot. My fiancé does too. Where we're oh, like, okay, okay we're yeah. going to work a lot till we have a lot of money. Now we're going to go fun or write or create or whatever we do. Yeah, I can't write and work at the same time. I can't really, like, serve two masters at the same time because my day job is very uh, intensive in a, in a different way, and it just sort of zaps my imagination. And um, so I'm just going to try and make some money until I can quit and write another book. Well, I mean, hopefully this is, like, a huge success and you become, you know, like, Murakami. I would say he's the 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 richest of the people that you've been compared to. 
You would say that's the closest? I would say, like, that's probably, like, the person with the most money. Oh, the most money. Adam okay. Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. Elvis Huxley. I don't know how they ended up financially, so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, these, like, literary stars, like, I don't know if they have that much money. Yeah, I I'm mean, friends with Norman Mailer's son, and I was like, was your dad rich? He's like, no. But he had, like, nine kids with a bunch of different women, so I think he just had, like, a big nut to cover, so, like, all his money just went in one door and out, you know, just it was gone as soon as he made it. I mean, it's a cautionary tale for you right there. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. have nine kids. Uh, yeah, that's true. That'll take away kids. all your literary money, which is not yeah. much. Yeah, I think I lost more money uh, on writing than than made, certainly. Wow. So it's like gambling, and you keep losing, but you keep doing it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Writing is a gamble. It's like the best gamble, though, or at least to writers, I suppose, because we get addicted to it. I guess no one else gives a fuck. No one else gives a fuck. I mean, it is like a, like, my brother, he's a, a, an oncologist, a cancer doctor, you know, and he makes a lot of money. And when I explained to him how much time goes into writing a book and then how much money you can expect to make from, like, an indie press, it, it just, like, boggles his mind. He's like, what the fuck? Are, how could you spend your time doing that? Like, it just makes no sense to him, right? He has, he has like, no art, artistic, like, inclinations or impulses. or um, But it just is beyond him. And even, like, a, like... A writer who's like at a making a lot of money, like maybe it takes three years to write a book. If you get like whatever, one hundred and twenty grand advance, it took you three years to write the book. That's only forty grand a year. You're not, you're not definitely not getting rich. That definitely seems to be what the typical salary for a millennial is these days. Forty grand. I, I would say we don't make much. Yeah. But I'm yeah, a poor a person right now. I am too, kind of. I, I went to work for my, my friend at his startup, so um, I'm not making a lot of money right now. I basically am publishing and freelance writing and working on my own book as we speak, so yeah. Well, at least you're living exactly the life you want to be doing, though. Like, yeah, this uh, is the best life. I dig it. Like, I was in meetings with, like, private equity guys and bankers today for my job. And so that is not exactly uh, a very writerly thing to be doing. See, I don't know if I could really do that. I originally was studying to be a history professor. So uh-huh. there was a lot of obviously hierarchy and bureaucratic yeah. attitudes. I couldn't handle it. Like I could do the whole history part, but no, I, I can't do the politics do a, part of it. Yeah, it's too stifling. Yeah. Oh, I'm not very good at my job. I'm just... <laughs> like, I spent most of my 20s playing in, like, touring bands, and then when I was, like, 28, maybe, I was like, I need a job. Like, I can't do this anymore. I do have to ask, though, because obviously a lot of people in the indie world, and I want to come back to your rock bands eventually, but a lot of people in the literary world do auto-fiction, and this... Mm so strays from autofiction, which makes me appreciate you so much more. Don't mm. tell the people who write autofiction. Yeah. This is between us, obviously. Us and yeah. all the listeners of the podcast. Right. <laughs> but have you ever come across a cult like this? Because I, I would find it so funny if you did. 
Um, not a cult like this, per se. When I started writing the book, this guy I know, who was like, the, like a serial entrepreneur, um, he had started this like mass meditation club. Um, and he sort of became a guru in that way. And he started, it started growing and he was growing at like a business and like was, he did like mass meditations at like Madison Square Garden. And then right before, uh, pandemic, like for like the eight months before pandemic, Oprah tapped him to go on tour with her and he would warm up the crowd by doing mass meditations with the crowd. So he became like this thing and, um. I wouldn't say he's like a charlatan, but I certainly wouldn't say he knows he's enlightened by any sense. So uh, that was kind of like maybe like the 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 I was sort of the impetus for for that a little bit for writing about a a cult leader because he certainly became a thing for sure. See that through power of his, you know, he's very charismatic. Uh, no, I think guy. I've actually probably met more cult-like people than you have. Well, have. also, I'm from New Mexico, and there's cults everywhere. That's where everyone has their cult. But, like, my my most, like, proper, like, being friends with, with, the, with, the, with the cult leader, that was, that was the closest I've been. Yeah, that would really do it, being friends with a cult leader. I just kind of know some culty people. I don't think I've ever, you know gotten so up to the point of knowing the cult leaders but mm. I, I definitely have had it where it's like no you're, you're in a cult yeah okay yeah no a lot of people I knew growing up um, were like the children of people who uh, came to New Mexico because their uh, their parents were hippies that were in a cult yeah. like I had an ex-girlfriend who's she was like this rich lady from the east coast and she moved to outside of santa fe like in the 80s probably and there was like a cult she heard she was with this guru guy who i think literally had like probably like five wives and um her like trust fund was funding uh their like commune of like maybe 60 people uh outside of santa fe and then after a couple of years like they blew through millions of dollars of her money, and then she was broke, and that was the end of the cult. Oh, damn. That was, that was my ex-girlfriend, yeah. I mean, that that obviously adds a lot more influence into this book, then. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I mean, had more cult experience than, than I originally let on. I, I was going to say, you, you definitely, you could start your own cult without this whole resume you have going on. Hey, listen, if you can make it work, it can be very lucrative. Okay, well, let's start it off with your Forever Magazine launch party. People are going to think it's just a party, but you're secretly going to be going around in an eyes wide shut kind of vibe, tapping yeah. people. Um, I'd be, I, I don't think I'd be a very good cult leader, though. That's not really an ambition for me. I, mean, I would like to believe in something, though. I think part of why I wrote this book is because I'm, like, really desperate, um to like believe in something that's like bigger than me. Um, like I wish I had like the religious impulse a little bit. Like I really crave it. Like I don't have it at all. Um, but I would like to be, I would like to 
fall under the influence of someone and uh, be inspired to, uh, I don't know, do whatever they tell me to do. Someone else take the wheel of, take the wheel and steer for me a little bit. That'd be nice. So That'd be really wish that control. So you would definitely be the follower, not the leader. Yeah, I'd probably be a follower. Although I think cynical. like with the happen. right love interest or sign in your life, maybe they could help bring you to the height of being a leader. Yeah. I mean, I given know. your author picture, it's like, you know what? You, you give off that vibe where you could be a cult leader. I appreciate that. That's really nice. No one's ever said anything like I know. Nice that's the me. best compliment, right? Yeah. You could be a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, you need to have the proper, like, cult leader glasses, maybe. Yeah, sure. Unfortunately, well, I have really good eyesight, but oh. I could fake it. I could get yeah. fake glasses. You could do that thing that people, like the hipsters did a while back when they would just have glasses, but it's like they're not real. Yeah. I sometimes will wear those, like, I've bought some off the internet, those glasses that are supposed to, like, do something when you're staring at a computer screen for too long that's supposed to, I don't know, something with the light. Oh, like the blue light The glasses. blue light. Yeah, I bought a pair. I never really wore them because I'm not used to wearing glasses, really, so it feels uncomfortable for me to, like, have glasses on. See, I wear glasses, so they just have that in them. Uh, like, oh, you can yeah. have it as an addition. But, you know, ironically, I do have cult leader-like eyeglasses, so if you ever want a pair... <laughs> Yeah, steal yours. Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> or we could pair. team up. Uh, yeah, we could share share a pair of glasses. I could be like your partner. We could be a duo, but people are going to look at you as a cult leader, and I'm just going to be like, "Hey, I'm just helping him." You're the Svengali. Yeah, you're pulling all the strings. I I really don't think you're the kind of person where I'd actually really be able to control you, though. Really, you have all these like preconceptions about me that. I've, like I'm uncontrollable, that, that, I, that I could be this, like, charismatic cult leader figure. I like so, this. I like that I'm putting out that vibe. I don't, so I'm giving you good ideas. Okay, maybe I could do that. Well, you're giving me confidence. That's oh, you doing. should have confidence. With, I just got to say, this does not seem like the kind of book that's written by someone who doesn't have confidence. I'm confident in the work. I do think this is a very good book. Okay. Is that <laughs> is that cult leader thing to say? I think the the book is the best thing I'm capable of, like in my life. So, um, like that's the best of me. I think is is what I do with this book. Um, certainly better than my I am in my day job or in my friendships or my relationships. Or um, I think the book is better or worse. As good mm. as it's gonna get for do me. Do you think your friends would agree with that? I don't know. They haven't most. They haven't read it yet. So um, I will ask that. I will get that feedback. I'll say like you should give like a feedback card and be like, in comparison to my friendship to you yeah, and the quality how, of this book, which one is better? Yeah. How does this rate? Yeah, I could send out like a little survey. Yeah, I think that'd be really funny to hear that feedback. Yeah, and then I could like, yeah, I think that would actually. Uh, I think that'd be. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's a, you are full of good ideas. But the question You're here, You're going to be the best is, Bengali. Oh, I'd be great at it. Is, are you going to be hurt if they think, yeah, the book is way better than you are as a friend? No. No? I would honestly be hurt otherwise. They're like, <laughs> e, I think I love you as a friend. You're so great. The book's not for me. And I get that this book is going to be polarizing. Um, and some people are definitely not going to like it. They're not going to get it. 
You know, I was going to ask that, too. Yeah. I mean... My mom did not like the book. Okay, so she's in the camp of no. She's, like, very... She doesn't... I mean, this book's very absurdist, right? And so she... Um, we'll say the cover got that right. Yeah. She she read the... When she started reading it... Before it got published... Before even... Yeah, before anything. Like, when it, it was just the book. Or the manuscript. She read it. And then she came to me after, like, 50 pages. And was like, Matt, who do you think would want to read this book? Ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like... But I was confident enough in the book that that didn't shake me at all. I was like, yeah, I didn't think this book would be for you. I mean, depending on how you're raised, I mean, you just said that one of your siblings is an oncologist. I mean, you're a writer, so they always knew that you were going to do something a little weirder in life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what... I came to writing very late in life. I didn't write a word of fiction until I was 30. But you did say that you're like... In bands, when I played in bands, and uh, I kind of came to that late college, too. Though you said, yeah, I guess I was playing. Started like really like doing music, but I w- like where I went to college it was just like all hippie stuff, and I was like into like these little indie guitar bands. So I would like try and like find people to start a band with, and they all they were all into like Grateful Dead, and I like Grateful Dead actually, but like they were into like Fish and like Widespread Panic and. So I could not put a band together in college, and uh, I hated college, actually. The whole thing was a waste of time for me. Um, but then, post-college, I moved to California and, and um, played in a lot of bands. So and you're not played. into playing the hippie kind of deadhead stuff, but you like them. I like the I like the dead a little bit. Yeah, I like the dead. I didn't then. What genre do you play, then? I have, like, this recording project called Bang Bang Jetaway that I do with a friend who's actually in California. And it's just the two of us, so we kind of... I mean, it's all... It's... it's Most of it gets back to, like, sort of, like, sort of 60s... In, well, like, you know, kind of kinksy or Beatlesy. He's really good at strings. Like, he plays cello and violin really well. So some of the, some of the songs will have, like like, big string arrangements... Uh, you know, but it's all like kind of like what you would just throw under the umbrella of like indie rock stuff. Like, I don't know. Um, Why know, did you um, name it that? Bang Bang Jetaway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy who I do the project with, he played in this great band called The Stereotypes, and they were sort of like my mentors when I was like younger. Uh, my partner in it, uh, Mike, was sort of like a a mentor and the singer in that band was definitely like a mentor to me. And he had this like, like little obscure, uh, he had this song. I don't even know if it was one on one of their records, but it was called like, it was called bang, bang Jetaway. Um, and then, um, when I started, this started originally as like a solo project. Um, and then Mike was producing it, but then he ended up playing, you know, a lot of the instruments on it. And then I think we, like, licensed the song off the first, like, EP, so, that, so there might have been a little bit of money in it. And we're like, oh, this is really fun doing this together. And um, and so it's sort of just, like, as a tribute to his, like, other project, we called it Bag Bag Jetaway. 
because that was like my favorite band in, in San Diego was his old band the Stereotypes they were called the Stereotypes but they had the song Bang Bang Chat Away I yeah. think it's pretty lit yeah so do you do anything live I mean obviously you two are on different coasts so um yeah so we have a bunch of friends that we can just send them the songs they'll learn their parts and then I'll show up in California and we'll rehearse like a couple times and then just go play a few shows so we've, we every summer we the last two summers, we've uh, played a few shows. I mean, are you strictly San Diego? Are you L.A.? Yeah, San Diego that? and L.A., pretty much. Like, we're all, like, 40 years old now, so we're not, like, trying to go on tour and stuff like that. I mean, at we're, least you're not dad rock out of a garage. That would be really weird. No, no. There's, like, it's it's a recording project, and uh, for fun, we'll, we'll... I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get together and play a couple shows, but... The, the main emphasis is definitely on, like, recording music. Do you have a pretty decent following? I was looking at you guys no. up on Spotify. <laughs> I mean, it's we don't do anything to promote. It's just me and my friend, we do this stuff, and we send it to our... We have, like, a music supervision company who licenses it out for... Um, who tries to license it out for TV and commercials, and we've gotten a couple things in the past, but no, we don't do anything to promote it. Like, it's not a thing. No. <laughs> Do you, like, sell albums or... Because, yeah, I see it on Spotify. I would have to say everything except for I'm in Trouble Now is less than 1,000. Yeah, we have a few songs. If Those are all the new ones, and so, like, one of them got picked up by the Spotify algorithm, so it got a bunch of plays. But which one is it? I'm in Trouble Now. I'm in Trouble Now, yeah. So we released that maybe, like, a month ago, like, a, an EP. So, um, and that one song, like, the algorithm at Spotify, whatever, put it in people's things. So that one got heard. Uh, but no, no one knows who we are, and it's fine. We do it for fun. Okay. I'm going to just, like, try and push you guys heavy now. I'm going to be like, have you heard Bang Bang Have you Bang, heard it yet? Away? Have you listened? I, I, I've listened to you guys, yeah. Oh, did you like it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I do my oh, cool. research. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's fun, right? Yeah. I, I also really like your album covers, too. Um, thanks. The one of that one, it's called the Princess EP, and the picture is just a picture of my girlfriend's face, and they're all kind of songs about her, and uh, they're just called the album Princess. That's cute. Isn't that nice? That is so nice. Yeah, they're all just kind of like little, I wouldn't say they're like straight ahead like love songs by any means, but, um, but they're loving yeah, it would definitely be like there's a bit of sentimentalism in there. Yeah. Yeah. Try it. Yeah, I'd say a bit of wistfulness in there. That's a better word. Definitely. See, that's why you're the better writer here. I haven't read your book yet, so. I have a poetry collection and I have a novel out and I'm working on a novel and we'll see what happens with yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrified to start another project. I mean, almost immediately when I'm done with you, I'm going to be going to a lake house to see if I can finish it. Oh, wow. So you're, you're like in a home stretch. That's great. I know. That feels good. I decided just to be like, how fast can I write? So we'll see how this shit goes. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, maybe the book will be done. Wow. Oh. We'd be a little sad, though. I mean, it's like you want to finish it, but at the same time. There's, like, this emptiness when you finish a, a book. 
I'm at that weird point right now where I actually already know what the next book will be. Oh, so it's okay. like I'm trying to race through this one to get to the next one. Wow. I finished writing Pure Cosmos Club so long ago, I feel like, at this point. It's been like a year and a half, and I haven't written a word of fiction since then. I mean, then. this is the first time in my life where I actually was like, I know exactly what I'm going to write next. But wow. Yeah, I would say, like, my last book came out in, like, 2018, maybe? Yeah. I think that's no. when, Yeah, okay. No, it can't on. be then. That's when my, like, first book came out. It was after the pandemic. Oh, so it just came out. I don't know. I, I feel like my sense of time has gone away since pandemic. Yeah. I know, me too. Like, you used to be, like, 2020 to now, it's just one long year. I don't know. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, agree. it just happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt like my whole decade living in Southern California was, though, because there's no seasons to, like, demarcate time. So you have no, like, yeah, there's just no, like, reference point. So it all just feels like one long season. Like, nothing, you have, like, there's never, like, you know, you have memories where you're, like, in regular places, Chicago, New York, Colorado, whatever. It's like, oh, I was wearing a sweater, or it was hot, I was wearing shorts. There's none of that in San Diego. It's just, like... I don't know, it was nice. And so without those seasons changing, you really lose track of time. Like, I lost a whole decade. I mean, I I don't know really what the weather's like in New York too much because I've only been there a few times, like a handful of times. And actually, the first time was to actually hang out with someone I found out who's the daughter of a cult leader. But uh, Yeah, Chicago weather, yeah, we have different seasons, but we'll have all four different seasons within, like, one week. So it's really mm. hard to, like, be like, oh, it's all four seasons. Like, you could split them up. Like, a couple weeks yeah. ago, it was 80, and then two days later, it was snowing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, like, less of a Chicago thing, maybe, and just, like, a climate change thing. Yeah, it definitely thing. could be global warming. Because I can't remember, like... I think that was New Mexico. That happened in New Mexico a couple weeks ago, too. It was, like, it snowed. And then it was 80, like a yeah, day Yeah, like, I have, like, a huge sunburn going on right now just because I was outside yesterday. And it's like, it's so weird. It's going to be, like, 50 tomorrow. Yeah. But, yeah, my cult leader friend, she was fun. She was from Chicago, and obviously her whole family was. And her father had a, quote-unquote, church, and he defrauded people of about, like, a couple million dollars, but then ran away with mm. it to Florida. Good for him. And yeah. then was able to lure the people to come move to Florida with him. I mean, why did he want the people to come to move after he already got their money? More money. More money. I like that. So, like, there's, like, a little mini Jonestown happening in Florida right now with this. Good for him. She was really a friend of a friend, and she was going to be a writer, and I have no idea whatever happened to her. She was actually one person who was like, you're not going to make it as a writer to me. And I was like, okay, then. I know. It's like, I don't oh. see your name anywhere. Yeah, you don't need that. Yeah. No. You don't need those people. But, no. you know, she was in the New York scene at that time. And I think, not trying to shit on New York writers, but... Y'all seem to think that you guys are a little bit more top tier than the rest of us. Um, I don't know. I, this is my first sort of 
this is the first time I've like been part of like the New York scene. My last book came out. I moved to New York right when it came out, but I didn't know anyone, and I was never part of like any like lit scene anywhere. Like I, that was not my thing. Um, and so when when my last book came out, I did not do anything. Like I might as well have been back in New Mexico or something. Like I wasn't part of anything. Um, but with this book. Um, I moved, I moved back to, to New York after pandemic and, uh, yeah, just sort of made inroads into like the literary circles, not like, just like a specific literary circle, I guess, sort of that, like that forever ecosystem thing. Um, and they, you know, they've been like champions of the work. I mean, you can call it pure cosmos club. The New York ecosystem of artists, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rebranded. Uh, rebranded. Oh, my God. It would be so uh-huh. much better because they used to yeah. be called Alt-Lit, like, more than a decade ago. So this is a better yeah. name change. Yeah. Better name. Yeah, you're you're going to be the cult leader. And everyone's going to okay. say, like, this I've, guy I've... is the next Murakami. Yeah. <laughs> Clancy Martin said that, and uh, well, he called me. He said I asked him for a blurb, and he wrote something, something. Binder is the American Murakami, and uh, maybe he's being a little hyperbolic. I mean, everybody likes to have that, where it's like, oh, I'm being compared to an amazing writer. I don't know if I ever believe it when people compare me to these people, but. I mean, there's one person no. right here that I'm reading that actually compared you to uh, Bukowski. I don't see that, though. No, I don't either at all. I think, who was that? Uh, Not that many people have written about that. Okay, book I yet, can't so. pronounce his last name, but Zachary Hewell? Howell? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, know who you're, I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I looked at that guy's Twitter after he wrote that, and um, on his Twitter, and not being ironic, like, he's, like, a devout Christian um, uh, guy. So I, I don't think this book would be for him, and I thought he gave the book, the review, it was, like, a very charitable uh, uh, reading, and he, he wrote about it as charitably as possible for someone who's like sort of maybe making an indictment of <laughs> his life or his belief system. So I appreciate that. I would that. like to say that most people, but yeah, but, but he, uh, yeah, like I, 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 I did a kind of a deep dive cause that was like the first review that came out on the book. So I was like, someone's writing about the book. So I did kind of like a little dive onto his life and I don't think he drinks at all. And I, there's no, Paul's not a drinker in the book. He chews gum. Yeah. That's like his thing. When I read that, I was um, like, so I, I did a really reread after part. I read that, and I was like, did I miss the Bukowski-isms in here? Yeah. Yeah. There's. I feel like there's very little that could be... I mean, I guess there's some, like, bad sex. I mean, like, that's Bukowski, like two, then a lot of us are. Two, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, maybe I'll write to him, and actually, you shouldn't no. engage with your critics. That's... Although I, I do fun. know quite a few people who have, and the interactions are rather funny, especially if you post it online. So. Yeah, no, you shouldn't do mean. that. Though. That's definitely you should not post private correspondence. Uh, see, online. now you can't be a cult leader. You're, you're too polite. 
<laughs> I am. I do. I am. I am kind of. Uh, You're a polite, polite guy who wrote a really cool Cosmos guy. Club book, and yeah, you don't even play like. Yeah, I love it. You like the book. Oh, Would I be great. talking to you if I didn't like it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like our our sort of mutual friend Claire. Uh, uh, sort of introed us, and I, I think I discovered Claire, and was a fan of her. And then she had written about another friend of mine, uh, Garth's book, and so I wrote to her saying, "Hey, you wrote so well about my friend Garth's book. Um, can I send you my book?" And she said, sure, yeah. And so we did an interview. It hasn't come out yet. Where's it going to be? Um, but uh, uh, Ride or Die, okay. I think it's called. Yeah. I think that's where it's coming out. And uh, I forget where I started this tangent. Of would I be reading your book? <laughs> oh, so, yeah, right. So I know Claire really liked the book. and so I trust maybe Claire's opinion a, a lot. Act of goodwill. Yeah, I, have you read her? You've read yeah, her new one. Claire obviously. actually used to be an editor for uh, Modern House, and oh, okay, I love. I published one of her books yeah. too. Oh, uh, she yeah, she has so many books. Yeah, she's a writing machine. Oh, this is going to be the second podcast in a row now where we sing the praises of Claire. I see. I see. I don't understand the publishing world. Like, why isn't she like? I was about to say, is she the secret the, cult leader? But like, why isn't she like a huge famous writer? That's the one thing like, I always wonder too. Like her, the the sort of the opening novella of the new book of Echo Chamber, that that character is just the it's like Paul's like long lost twin sister or something. <laughs> I would say even the I love art. Yeah. yeah, I feel like definitely you two, your characters would match. Yeah, she she put together a reading in New York and and um, had me read. It was like her, me. I think Bud was there uh, too. Bud Smith um, and and Garth, and um, yeah, that that was the the group. I think that I was gonna do a reading with him a couple years back, but I hate doing readings. Oh, you so. do? Why? I'm shy. I I, I am very shy. So you started a podcast. <laughs> Oh, it's one of those things. Nobody believes I'm shy until they meet me, and they're like, mm, "You're a little shy." But you're not shy behind a microphone. You're just shy, in, like face to face. I mean, I would definitely be down with like your cool like Forever Mag launch party. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. You don't have to read that much. Oh my gosh! So last week, two days ago, I found out that I've been telling everybody. I even had the made had the flyer made for the 18th. Next Thursday, I told all the readers, I told everyone I know, my book party is on the 18th. My uh, f- two friends have made travel plans around coming for the party on the 18th. I get a, uh, an email from the venue, not yesterday, but the day before. And they're like, we're so excited to have you next Wednesday. And I was like, no, nope, it's next Thursday. And they're like, no, nope, it's next Wednesday. And uh, so I had told everyone the wrong date. 
feels like something I would do. Yeah. It all worked out. Everyone's gonna. Everyone's fine. Like all the readers and stuff, and it'll be fine. It's only one day. One day. I off. mean, yeah. It's not like it's a week off, and everybody was like, "What the hell, man?" Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, I'd be cool with your reading. That sounds so much easier. Yeah. Just really quick, and then you just get to party, yeah. and it's fine. Yeah. Just have a few drinks, and, and I don't even know how long I'll last there. Like, I'll go do my thing. Are you going to do like the uh, French exit where you just kind of slowly disappear? Yeah. If it gets, if it's like awkward and people are like wanting to like, I'd rather just sort of be anonymous in the, in the, in the party and just have it like a fun thing. If it's like a thing where everyone is like, Hey, congratulations. And you have to have like all these conversations with strangers about like your new book. Um, I might hide out somewhere else. If it gets to be too much, if it gets overwhelming. Are you one of those writers that has a buffer with you at all times? Because I always have a buffer. I don't know what that means. What do you mean a buffer? Like Like a a friend who's kind of like your go-to person. So it's like they're almost your shield. No, I should get one of those though. You should. Yeah, Yeah, it really helps because then they'll suddenly distract out of that conversation. Or just have someone else be your like advocate and just like, if they want to talk about the book to you, then your friend can just sort of be your mouthpiece and Ooh, that would actually be better. it's like your it's like your your comms like your communications director see i need to get one of those yeah. see i have the one that helps me like get out of the corners that i'm backed into Oh, okay yeah yeah where it's like i'm gonna change the subject i know she doesn't like talking about it yeah no i don't have that but and suddenly we'll just start talking about scream some, or something. something for me to invest in though a friend like that. I know. Don't, definitely don't pay them though. No, then it seems weird. That's yeah. Creepy, but it would be funny, but creepy. Yeah. Although it would fit in with your cult leader mystique. Yeah. <laughs> if I had enough money, I would be fine with paying people to like do that kind of thing for me. See, now all you need to do is have people invest to get like up to like different tiers and everything. Hit the ultimate level. Ultimate level. Yeah. Ultimate level. So, should you like <laughs> uh, tell people what the ultimate yeah. level is in Cosmos Club? I mean, who am I to say? What are you to say? Hmm? People just gotta decide. Yeah. I wouldn't even. It's. It's. It's the. It's the. It's the promised land that the cult leader, uh, basically, is dangling in front of all his acolytes, all his followers. Um, and it's sort of, I guess it sort of changes a little bit throughout the book um, about what it means to get to this place. Like, I think at first it just sort of means like, like an enlightened spiritual place in your life. But as he, as the main character sort of spirals further, deeper into this cult, it, it, it actually becomes something different maybe even like a a physical place maybe even uh out in space or something like heaven's gatey um yeah but you're you're getting it all through some scientology yeah some scientology vibes but you're getting it all through paul circle starting with tom cruise yeah yeah. exactly but you're getting it all through the most unreliable narrator in the world so it's it's difficult to say what anything is i mean not only is he an unreliable narrator, he's in a very unreliable situation. Yeah. 
Yeah. He, uh... Which makes it even better. Yeah, he... he I guess it's sort of... The book is sort of... I don't want to call it satire, but I guess it satirizes, like, sort of like the luxury fashion world and, and the high art world and um, sort of the... And then obviously some of the new agey uh, uh, spiritual enlightenment cult cult world. So if this book had a soundtrack, would you be able to like know what kind of songs would go with it? Or could you give it like a theme song? Um, so I actually, the, this, this writer, Catherine Spiro is she reached out, she's writing a review of the book and she reached out and said, whenever I write a review of a book, I make a soundtrack. And so she actually made a, she made a pure spot, pure Cosmos club, um, playlist and sent it. And she like, it's public. I'll send it to you. Um, and there were some good tunes on there. Um, and then I just did a, a, uh, uh, thing for this uh, site called Large Hearted Boy. Called, they have like a, a feature where you do make your own like playlist for the book. So I picked like a few songs and one of them was that like Charles, Man- that song that Charles Manson wrote that he sold to the Beach Boys and then they, they sort of, he sold to, he was, he, Charles Manson was a songwriter originally and he wrote this tune and he became friends with Dennis Wilson, who was the drummer I think for the Beach Boys and Dennis Wilson liked this tune, so he bought the rights to it and then really butchered it. Or not butchered it, he just changed all the lyrics and made it poppy, and then this really upset Charles Manson. And so Charles Manson, like, threatened him, and then Dennis Wilson, like, kicked his ass, like, beat him up. So that made the playlist. Um, I'm really bad I'm bad memory recall, but that George Harrison song with the the... the uh, the Krishna, I forget what it's called, Lord. My Sweet My Lord. My Sweet Lord, that was on there. Um, there was a uh, Serge Ginsberg, Ginsberg uh, tune because, like, uh, you know, they had the, the, the atelier in the book where all the French seamstresses are imported to make the cat bags. Um, so that made the, the list. Um, yeah, there's a couple more on there. Does that sound like a good soundtrack for the book? It's a good soundtrack. So I recommend everybody. I, I definitely think the Charles Manson one for yeah. sure. And My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. That'd be great. Yeah. On repeat, actually. That would be really good. Both great songs. Did you do like a lot of deep research into like other cults? Like now that you mentioned like Manson? Uh, I did some for sure. I read, uh, I think like the only, this person i think she might have been the only person to escape like jonestown like when they committed their mass suicide she wrote a memoir i read that i read a couple maybe like a book or two on uh maybe a book on like the heaven's gate cult and then i wrote another book about that like some academic wrote about like sort of like just like the cult of personality in general um uh about sort of like the tactics that these uh, that these like cult leaders use, um, yeah. So I did do some research. So really, you do have a how-to guide to become a cult re- leader. Yeah, that, if you if you want the information, it's out there. 
Oh, don't worry. I'm actually pretty, like, obsessed with cults for some reason. I don't know why, but, like, as you said, the fun, like, Manson story, I was like, I know exactly what he's talking yeah. about. I got yeah. you. I was not obsessed with cults ever before. and uh, I don't know what it is in me that, like, kind of drifts towards the macabre. Yeah. But, yeah. So I, I, I kind of, like, tonight I'm very excited because, God, it's so fucked up. There's actually a mini-series that was made last year about Waco, and now this year they decided to do its, like, aftermath of Waco, uh-huh. so it's, like, all about, like, the mini-cults that sprang up, or militias, whatever we want to yeah. call them. So I, I think this episode tonight is going to be the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh. Did you watch? Know. Did you watch the Sarah Lawrence Hulu doc thing? That one I missed. Oh, it just came out a few months ago. It's about this guy who had just gotten out of jail, and his daughter was at Sarah Lawrence College. What is that? Like, in New York. Um, You know, a very expensive, prestigious liberal arts school. And he, like, moves in with his, like, daughter, like, I think in the dorms. I haven't watched it. Um, Sounds familiar. And then he... So he moves into, like, the dorms or whatever, and then he turns, like, all her friends into... He starts, like, a cult around him, and then he starts this, like, sex ring, and basically, I think he makes, like, a, a ton of money, like, prostituting it, like... Like, turns all these, like, Sarah Lawrence students into, like, prostitutes. I'm probably butchering I haven't watched it. Um, my, my, I think it's called, like, Stolen something. Stolen Youth, I think, yeah. 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 That's, that's a... That's, and my friend is the directed that, yeah. Oh wow, that's really lit. Yeah. See, your friend's into the macabre as well. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He's. I feel like he's not. I think no. he just was like, "This is a good story," and he makes a lot of docs, and uh, and uh, he's really good at it. And, what else uh, has he made? He made a movie called Cutie and the Boxer that got like an. It's a documentary about this. Um. It got an Academy Award nomination, actually. This is a bunch of years ago. It was about this guy, this old Japanese, who lives in, in New York, but this old Japanese artist, like, uh, whose wife was, like, this... This guy's probably, I don't know, in the movie, like, 75 years old or something, and whatever. He had his moment in the sun 30 years ago where he was, like, a popular artist, and it's about, you know, him trying to, like, continue to make art and his wife's just been this, like, doting wife who's just supported his art career and hasn't really... And she's an artist herself, but she's never pursued it. She's just put all her energies into supporting him. And then finally, at, like, 70-something, she was just like, yeah, I'm going to try and get some of my art out there. And then she becomes, like, an art star. And so, like, all the attention goes to her. And my friend had just been basically documenting them. Like, the whole thing, he started making the documentary about the guy... And then during that period where he was, like, shooting, following the guy around with the camera for four years, like, the wife had this, like, renaissance. Like, her career took off, and she never even had a career before. And then so, like, all the attention, like, went to her, and she became, like, this thing. And, like, the husband is, like, feeling very left out, and, like, you know, he's jealous. And it's, it's an interesting thing. It's called Cutie, interesting film. It's called Cutie and the Boxer. That sounds so fascinating to be, like, making a documentary in their to be, like, a real-life plot twist. Yeah, totally. He just basically pointed a camera at this guy for four years, and, and then all of a sudden, like, two years into it, started pointing the camera at the, the wife because she was doing 
better stuff, more interest, or whatever. The, that's where the attention was. So it was a really interesting dy- dynamic, right? Because she had basically been the doting wife for 50 years, and then all of a sudden she had this, like, she became a star. It definitely does focus a little bit on the cult of personality, a little bit, from my vibe that I'm getting here. Where can I watch yeah. that, actually? I, I mean, I, it's a big, it was a big doc that got nominated for an Academy Award. You can, Sure See, I really wish that, like... Amazon or Netflix or whatever. I, like, never know, like, what's nominated for awards or not because I just don't put too much importance on them. I only know lately. because I'm friends with them. Yeah. He, if he, I was he friends, reminds me I have an Academy Award nomination. I mean, that would be the coolest thing to do. I think it's on HBO. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can do that. I'm trying I'll to convince that. him to... I wrote a, I just finished a Pure Cosmos Club screenplay, and I want him to make a, like a feature film. Or you should have him do a documentary following your <laughs> awkward, neurotic attempts at promoting it. Or, or my attempts at starting my own cult. Ooh, that would even be better. Yeah, yeah. that'll be the plot twist within it. Like, yeah. here's Matt, he is promoting the book, and it's so good, and it's getting so realistic, and oh shit, he became a cult leader. Yeah. That would make a good cult or a good doc. I'd watch it. Yeah. All right, I'll pitch I it mean, to him. I mean, if I'm allowed to, I might be part of the cult. I'm not yeah. sure. Y- you'd make the rules. No, you would make. You'd be the, my like. You'd be like the puppet master. Like okay, I, like, I'm like the go-to. You're the Svengali, Yeah. I'm just imagining Lord of the Rings, two towers. That one guy who's whispering in the king's ear the yeah. entire time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd you, be that. You could be that person. Okay, so <laughs> before we go, are there any future projects you're working on? Um, no. I mean, I'm writing a lot of Bang Bang Jetaway stuff. Uh, I have a, a book that I want to write, but I have to make more money so I can quit working to write it because I'm not going to write it now. Um, and that's about a, uh, whatever, I'm not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> Don't jinx it. it. Yeah, I'll jinx it. Um, no, I'm just... Developing solar projects right now. Okay. That's about it. Anything else you want us to know? Maybe about Bang Bang Jetaway? Should I push it like crazy? Yeah, help us get some of those songs up over the the 1,000 stream (laughs) mark. (laughs) What's your favorite Bang Bang Jetaway song that you've done? Oh. You know what's funny? Like, there's no rehearsals or anything. All of them just get written in one day. And he does most of the, like, the production, and, and, like, I do my bits. And, like, now I just, like, send it to him. So I don't know the songs very well. Like, I wrote, like, three Bang Bang Jetaway songs over the weekend, recorded my parts, and then I never play them. You know, I don't, like, ever sit down at the guitar or piano and ever play them again. Um, unless we're going to, like, play a show, I, I like, learn some of them. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I like that song that you mentioned. Um, I'm in trouble now. I like that one. I like. Oh, there's I really a song. I liked uh, "Hey Girl." I like that one. I like that one too. People, I think the the mix is a little funny on that one. But um, we did a another EP that we released this year called "Quotidian Barbarian." I think all the songs on that one are pretty good. I think Quotidian Barbarians are our best record. All right. And I think Princesses. And you don't sell these on vinyl. We did one record that we 
came out on vinyl, and that was years ago. That was like 2018 or something. Um, Can you imagine how awesome it would be if you're a cult leader and everyone found out that you're a rock star as well? I have so like many of the, the you have a, I'll send you a record, uh, uh, the vinyl of that if you want. Hell yes, I would love it's that. Called, the record was called um, G Bar, which is spelled D Z Z S Bar. I, I moved to, I ran away to Hungary for a year, and my local bar was called G Bar. Um, and so, whatever we wrote, I wrote that most of that those songs while I was in Hungary, and um, so yeah, the record became called G Bar. But we yeah, have it on vinyl, so also I have a, 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 a box of G-Bar records, so I'll send you one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good record. All right. And everybody, definitely check out the book. Obviously, this will come out after your really amazing party. Well, hopefully it goes amazing. Oh, no, we're going to lie right now and say it went amazing. All right, it went amazing. And you are not cornered or bugged at all. No, I wouldn't let myself do that. Like, I, I'm pretty, if I'm not happy with the situation, I just leave. That's what we're just going to tell everybody that happened. Like, oh, my God, the party was a huge success. Somehow Matt vanished. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be, I'd be very happy if this party was a success and um, uh, I did not experience any uncomfortableness. I think that oh. would be a success if I was, like, not uncomfortable and if that means I have to leave, then so be it. But I just don't want to have to experience being, like, overwhelmed. All right, that was Matthew Binder. Support him by ordering a copy of his book, Pure Cosmos Club. You never know, you might reach the ultimate level. You can learn more about Matt from his website, matthewbinder.net. Check out Bang Bang Jetaway if you can. The music is out of this world. And be sure to check the show notes for all the proper spellings and links. As always, check out our Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, TextualPodcast.com. Show us support by going on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review or subscribing to us on Spotify. We'll be back next Saturday with another lit episode of Textual Healing. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.